What's up, everybody? Welcome to Podcast 585. Today, my guest is Sayed. He's a friend of mine. He used to be in our uh, mastermind last time we, he spoke on the podcast is three years ago. Uh, it was actually, I was just looking it up. It was episode 342, published on July 6, 2020. So we came right <laughs> out of COVID. Uh, it's been three years since Sayed and I talked. So I'm super excited to have you back on the show, Sayed. Well, Jasper, I'm super excited to be back on. Uh, it's amazing how many podcasts you have done so far and since I last talked to you. Uh, but three years have gone by and a lot of stuff has happened with me and my business. So I'm looking forward to talk to you about it and catching up a little bit. And I hope people could go go back and listen to the original podcast because I did recently. It's got a refresher of what I was talking about. And, you know, it was some good gems in there. So uh, which still is good as of today. So I highly recommend to go back and listen to that one as well. Yeah, 100%. The, there was a lot of learning lessons in there. Um, yeah. And I'll, I, I, th- I think a good place to start today is kind of doing a quick recap of sure. what we talked about because you, you just came out of COVID. Essentially, like you lost a lot of units. There was a lot of stuff going on. So why, why don't you take us back to the, to the very start of your uh, SDR journey back in 2018? Sure. So I started my business back in 2018. I came from corporate America. Um, I ended up getting a unit, seeing the opportunity in Airbnb during that time. I was getting two times rent and then summertime came and I got three times rent and then like the light bulb went off and I said I wanted more units. So uh, long story short is I tried the management type business and it didn't work out. And then I found an opportunity in the rental arbitrage business. And I partnered with the landlord um, that I was like persistent on for like six months, begging him for units. And finally, he said yes. He gave me two units at that time. And then um, a month later, I asked him for four more, then six more, then eight more. Then, you know, I kept going until I had 35 units with him. He was like a big landlord in my market in the Midwest. And uh, he had about a thousand units. So he had more than 100 units vacant at any given time. Um, so, all of a sudden, I had a uh, you know pretty substantial business at like you know forty something units, uh, and then I, I said, well, hey, you know I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket, so I started reaching out to his colleagues or competitors in my markets, and uh, because I had a good reputation with one landlord, the other ones were more accepting of me much quicker than uh, me like begging them for six months, you know, um, and then I started scaling up with other landlords during that time, and finally. It was March of 2020 is when I scaled up to 180 units. And just taking it back a couple months before that, um, I had maybe like 130 units at that time. And um, I started um, scaling up significantly because I knew like we were in our slow season and even the landlords were in their slow season. So they had a lot of vacancy available and they were just giving me units. So I took on a whole bunch of debt. Uh, I hope open like seven, eight, nine, ten credit cards at that time, and I bought furniture and furniture, and I just added so many units during like the winter months of the slow season for me. At the same time, I was taking losses from my actual regular business, but I said as long as I get to March, uh, I'll be able to, uh, you know, get in my you know spring season, spring break, and start making money again. And right when like spring break happened, is when they announced like all flights were 
being canceled and Airbnb ended up refunding everybody all their money. And I'm here with like a $400,000 rent payment coming up in a few days and I had no more money, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds so stressful. Yeah. Uh, so to keep going is, you know, I had the back my back against the wall. You know, our industry got hit first with like the COVID restrictions right away. Like our industry industry got affected. So I ended up going to my landlords and giving them a few options. Uh, I had about like 10 landlords at the time with 180 units. And I told them like, listen, uh, here's a situation. Uh, I'll give you three options. One is we get on like a revenue share and we'll see how COVID goes and we'll split on the revenue that comes in. Number two is uh, you allow me to remove my furniture from the units and walk away from like the lease. Or number three is I continue to stay and I don't pay and you could sue me for like whatever I have, you know? Uh, so like three or four landlords told me to get up, uh, leave uh, some, they said, take your stuff and leave. Uh, three or four landlords said like, we're not COVID charity. We're not going to like let you leave. Um, we're going to sue you. You better pay every single dollar. And then the two of my most important landlords that I had like 90 units with said, okay, let's take it month by month. Let's go on a revenue share and let's see how it goes. Uh, eventually, those three landlords that wanted to fight me for um, the rent realized uh, how bad COVID was going to be to the economy. Um, they ended up settling with me with um, either like, uh, you know, I was giving payments like two months of rent to get out. I was giving, giving up my furniture or whatever the case is. And um, they were finally, I was like, um, out of those units as well, you know. Um, so I went from 180 back down to 90 units uh, with no more rent expense. So the two landlords with 90 units kept me in business and allowed me to continue to pay my employees to continue to run the business and pay them some some money versus the rent money. And they kind of kept me alive during the pandemic. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think this is this is kind of like where we left off, right? Yeah, when we did the podcast uh, three years ago. Um, <clears throat> so there was a, there was a lot of learning lessons in that. Like one thing, and we don't have to go through that part in you know again sure. now because everybody can just listen to again it's episode three hundred and forty two. Highly recommend check it out. Lessons learned there are still applicable in uh, in the world today. So, but one thing I do want to go back to is because it, it, it sounds terrifying. You know, it sounds so terrifying to have 180 units, have all these leases, and you're, you know, you went into that to like buy the furniture and, and all this stuff, and suddenly, like, boom, that famous day was it March 15th or yeah. something? March 15th when the yeah. Airbnb announced that famous day, <laughs> the yeah. shockwave that was sent through the SDR world, and everyone panicked. But in, you know, in your case, like, how, how did you deal mentally with with that shock, with the with the stress that came from that? So a few things. I, now looking back at it, I kind of surprised myself how I handled it. You know, when I was listening to that podcast, again, I was getting like goosebumps thinking like, whoa, I went through some like crazy stuff back then. Um, so it's like uh, when I reflect back on it, it's like I don't know if I'd be able to get so lucky next time around if something drastic can happen like this. Um, it's easy to um, like be okay now because I've gone through it. Like I had this like criteria of I need like these 10 things to happen um, and I could still stay in business. 
Um, I got to think of what the 10 things were again, but I remember those like 10 things hit perfectly. And because of those 10 things hit, I was still able to be in business. But then going back in time, um, it happened so fast and so abruptly where it didn't even allow me to like spend time to feel bad about the situation that was going on. It was almost like, you know, fight or flight, like ready to go. Like my back is against the wall. I have nothing to lose. This is done with. That was in my mind, like, like the bandaid was ripped off. Like, uh, it was not like a slow death, you know, it was like, this is it, you know? So I was like, um, if I lose everything, it is what it is. I tried this. I need to figure out my next thing in life, maybe get a job or something. I, for me, uh, I, myself, I feel like I'm resilient. Uh, I can handle large amount of stress more than other people can. And I have this like competitiveness, this alphaness in me that like, no matter what, I'm going to figure it out. So like, it's a combination of like 10, 20 different things that I think allowed me to get to where I am now, you know, with um, the business. But um, I ne- like during that time, I don't even think about a day that I felt like, oh, okay, I feel bad. I feel sad. Um, I feel depressed about this situation. It was not like that. It was like, all right, let's figure it out. Let's start going to landlord's offices. Let's start um, coming up with negotiation. Let's start talking to lawyers. Let's start seeing what assets I have. Um, it was like almost like a, a math problem that I was trying to solve versus it being like uh, emotional, like I can't do this. What, what, why me and all that stuff? I didn't think of it like that at all. So that's kind of my mindset on it. Uh, that's impressive, man, because uh, I'm just thinking like, you know, I, I get that. Your your mindset is like competitive, and you know you wanna you wanna thrive and you wanna get stuff done. But like, how do you, uh, how do you control like? There must be some anxiety that comes up though. Like, I'm, I'm wondering if were you doing yeah. any like meditation or like breath work or things like that, or were you able to just kind of manage? Yeah. It? So like like so, I've gone through like problems in my life in the past, and uh, the way I'm able to like forget about the problems is was like through sports you know that's that's like my thing going to the gym playing basketball with your friends like the best things in life don't cost a dollar right so um just hanging with my friends and playing video games going to play basketball like it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire or you're homeless when when you're in the in the court playing against somebody else um it's just fun you know competitiveness like that so uh, i definitely use that as a coping mechanism when I have, when I go through uh, trauma and stress and problems, because like you just forget everything. I'm good at finding ways to distract myself and other things. Um, Also, I had kids, you know, so it's not like I could go home and show them that like, oh, like daddy is uh, not feeling well or not happy. It's like you go home and you got to change that diaper and you got to take them to the park and you got to smile in front of their face, you know. Um, even though you're, if you're like dying inside, I still, I'm going to be able to show face in front of them. So, um, for me, it's like, uh, the way I deal with problems is I distract myself and then I also like laugh about it. And it's weird that I, um, have to use that as coping mechanisms, but that's kind of what works for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you, man. I hear you. I mean, I do the same with sports for sure. Like, yeah. uh, there's nothing more that I love going on bike rides, especially here. And I moved to uh, North County, north of San Diego, and there's a lot of hills here. So just yeah. jumping on the bike and climbing a hill and just dying from exhaustion <laughs> that that really helps you like forget about right. the other troubles that are going on, right? So right. awesome, man. Well, let's uh, let's kind of let's uh, continue the 
the story of, of, of way. So last time we spoke, you were, you were in that spot. You kind of recapped it. So what, what happened after that? What, what, how did your journey continue? Yeah. So when I switched to a revenue management, there's like a revenue management agreement with my landlords. We were sharing the revenue that was coming in. And during the time, the demand in short-term rentals was not as bad as it was with hotels. Uh, hotels suffer significantly from like 70% occupancy down to like 10% occupancy when short-term rentals ended up uh, decreasing, but not as bad uh, because they the, the market thought that short-term rentals were cleaner because there was less traffic coming in and out from uh, international, national people from different cities that had like COVID surges and stuff. So um, the Airbnb market, the leisure market, the uh, my units weren't as bad as it could have been. And that's kind of what we were figuring out in the first few months of uh, the pandemic. One is like we reduce our prices significantly because now I don't have to pay rent, right? And I just had to make some money to be able to give to the landlord to show I'm doing something. So, you know, I was able to get them occupied at around like 70, 75, 80% on super low rates. Uh, but that, uh, you know, people were booking still. There was like people, there was reasons why like, you know, they had like marital problems. They were coming in for work. They they had to do different things um, for them to book an Airbnb. So uh, for one is uh, I was able to get it booked up, make some money, pay my landlords. They were happy with the situation. They didn't say, all right, this is not working out. I need to rent it out to other long-term tenants. We could still keep you. So one, they kept me in business, those two landlords with those 90 units. And then um, something like super special, once in a lifetime opportunity came to me. And that's kind of what I want to like tell about next is uh, there was a, a lot. Well, one in my market, um, the supply decreased about 50%. So there was a few things that happened in my market where there was a big regulation change and COVID at the same time. So all of a sudden from like 7,000 units, 6,000 units ended up going down to 3,500 units, um, which is a significant once in a lifetime drop. So that was one thing that um, was huge for me. Uh, second, there was competitors, big time national competitors that went bankrupt during the pandemic. One being like Stay Alfred and another being Domio. And these were like, $100 million companies at that time, they were doing like crazy revenues. I was able to see their financials and see like their crazy losses too, <laughs> like um, that they were, because they were VC back. Uh, they, uh, you know, were losing. They they exchanged like profitability for growth. You know, they, they were in like a growth mode. But anyways, when they went bankrupt, there was like a liquidation of their FF&E. So like their furniture and equipment. And uh, the opportunity came to me that, um, they're taking in offers and then I gave like some crazy low ball offer in the beginning of the pandemic. Like, um, n even if they accepted my offer, I wasn't going to go through with it cause I had nothing to do. I didn't know what, where I was going to be, but I just gave some low ball offer. Uh, I gave the offer of like $250 per apartment when it would cost like about $10,000 of furniture per apartment for me. So this was like pennies on the dollar. And then like five, six months in the pandemic and like, uh, I don't know what it was, like July, August, uh, I got a response back that they uh, accepted my offer. So now I I cleared up all the problems I had from COVID. My landlords were happy happy with me. 
Um, summertime COVID on 2020 wasn't that bad. And all of a sudden, um, I'm getting this opportunity uh, of furniture from Stay Alfred at pennies on the dollar. So basically, uh, you know, I went to my landlord and I said, listen, um, do you have more units that you allow me to come in and lease or revenue share? Sorry, not lease. I didn't want to lease at that time. And he was dealing with uh, a less of a demand of long-term tenants. So he had a lot of vacancy and he ended up saying, yes, yeah, we could put you in for more revenue share type apartments. And I said, okay, great. So then I went into the transaction with Stay Alfred. I bought eventually 150 apartments with the furniture. Um, I started having where, like four warehouses all around the country. I was going to Dallas, Atlanta, Minnesota, Ohio, uh, like Nashville, I think. And uh, I started taking all the furniture out of Stay Alfred buildings and putting them into warehouses. And all of a sudden, my landlord's giving me a supply of units on a revenue share. So it was like perfect match made in heaven, right? Like it was like um, units that I didn't have to pay rent for and furniture that was cheap as heck, you know? Um, it, wasn't, it didn't end up being $250 per unit after my costs associated with like moving and trucking and warehousing. It ended up being like 1000 1500 but still like, you know, 10%, 15% of uh, like what it would cost brand new, you know? Um, but it was like crazy because it was like I had to create a logistics trucking warehousing company overnight. Like I literally had to Google like how can I rent a truck? How Where can I get a warehouse? How can I find movers, you know? And all of a sudden I started Googling, started calling and then I found Uber trucks. I found some warehouses and some deals I was making all over the country. And then I was going to Facebook groups to find movers. And I'm sending my resources um, to different, like I'm sending my people out to different cities. And I'm like, whatever it costs, figure it out. Let's get that stuff back um, to our warehouses. So literally overnight, built up a logistics company and started moving all this furniture. And now scaling and putting this furniture into apartments that I didn't have to guarantee rent for. So um, that was like once in a lifetime opportunity. Me buying 150 apartments worth of furniture, say it's like a million dollars, $1.5 million worth of furniture. And I probably spent $150,000 on it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been really, uh, really mm -hmm. fun, like trying to get all this furniture back to your market from all these different places. Yeah. At the time, I didn't know. Like, I knew I was buying excess. And I was like, even if it, I can't get enough apartments, I'll just junk the furniture. Um, but it's worth the risk, right? Um, but now looking back, I wish I bought more, right? Because I ended up using all that stuff. Um, and I had opportunities of like this one Nashville building that had 150 apartments worth of furniture. And I regret not pulling the trigger on that one. Um, and then uh, we could talk, still talk about the Stay Alfred stuff, but like, um, Later on, I'm going to get into uh, a similar thing happened to Domio, and they had furniture too. And but um, the cost of their furniture, like the market changed, like every single month, the market was changing. So no more $250 worth of um, per unit. It ended up so Domio's uh, liquidation. It was like more difficult to find out where their stuff was, what they had. 
I just knew that they had nice stuff. So um, I ended up giving like this one crazy offer of $50,000 worth of um, $50,000. And I didn't know exactly how many apartments with the furniture it was in like one of these warehouses. And I bought it sight unseen. And I'm like, all right, I just want the deal because I ha- I could gamble on this. Now, I my one gamble on the stay outfit hit. Um, if I lose 50000 not a big deal. But um, also the Domeo furniture was solid, decent, good furniture. It was probably around 50 apartments worth uh, of furniture. So um, again, that's probably maybe like, you know, four hundred dollars to $500,000 worth of furniture that I paid $50,000 for. And my all-in cost is probably around $100,000, you know. So, uh, you know, I got some value from buying furniture all over the country. And, and you had enough units to to um, to use that furniture or did you have to no. like store it for a while? Store it for way too long. Um, so, like, I had store like three, four warehouses. Um, over time, you start reducing the warehouses. I was getting some good deals with my warehousing. It was like month to month. Um, on the stuff, uh, and uh, eventually, like it took me like more than a year and a half to like maybe almost two years to be able to get through all the furniture. And it came to a point where I was warehousing junk, and I'm like, wait, my cost to like warehouse this stuff is like uh, um, too much. I need to literally like junk the remainder stuff and get out of my lease for this. Um, and which I regret now because I need that warehouse space and I ended up getting a bunch of store, small storage units ended up costing me more than, um, the cost of that warehouse. So I go, so, you know, you can't, you can't be right about everything, you know? So, well, yeah. So yeah, took me some time, a lot of time. So, so, so this all happens in the, in the summer of, of 2020, right? It trickled into 2021. Right. Um, yeah. So. Um, back, back to the furniture. So it was like a perfect storm for me at that time. Um, I had my landlords having trouble finding tenants, me having all this furniture, me putting this furniture into, uh, my landlord's units slowly as vacancies came up and then, uh, me not having to guarantee rent and the supply is low in my market. And to tw- 2021, like um, I saw the supply low and starting to add back, but I had a feeling that that like there was going to be like really good pent up demand in that summer of 2021, and all of a sudden I'm scaling up units, and uh, finally it was like March of 2021. My landlord said like, "All right, listen, we can't do this revenue share anymore. We have to go to like leases. If you can't pay the lease, then you got to be out of my units," and then. They basically, they took me out of my slow winter season, so I didn't have my crazy losses in my winter. And then all of a sudden, I have more units than I ever had in my life and pent-up demand and low supply. So I had like a once-in-a-lifetime year in 2021 um, with like, you know, $7 million worth of revenue, like more than a mil- $1.5 million worth of profit. And um, it was just a crazy year in 2021. Um, wow, yeah. what a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, so it's like, it's like, you know, I made money, then lost everything. Then, you know, like 2020 was a, a net zero year after all my expenses. And then all of a sudden, I made record $1.5 million worth of profit in the next year, which essentially could have been like what I was going to make in 2020 and what I would make in 2021. So, yeah, I took a hit, but then I ended up recouping all those losses that I would have probably made. So I ended up doing good, you know. 
And, um, you know, one thing that we talked about during COVID is that travels kind of shifted, right? Like people were, instead of flying, you know, people were looking for places nearby to stay. And we saw like the demand in sort of secondary markets and remote markets be really strong. And I, I always felt like the, the urban markets weren't performing as well, but you're saying that your market did, did very good actually. After, they did. Shortly after COVID. They did. Every market had a story, right? And yes, the, um, those like uh, like Joshua Tree type markets, yeah, they were doing amazing because everybody, those remote, remote type markets were doing amazing because everybody wanted to get away from the cities. But my market had a unique situation too where, you know, from 7,000 units went down to 3,500. So like the demand didn't go back to what it was 2019, but because of the supply being much less, it ended up my rates being like higher than what I had in 2019. And now I had more units than I ever had. So it ended up being like a perfect storm of different things that happened to me during that year of one, like COVID happening, bankruptcies, ff &E, cut all the supply, regulations, landlords being motivated, me, ha me, believe me having this like forecasted vision of exactly this was happening and me putting, um, like this gamble that like, okay, I'm going to like take this big gamble and put all this money in, put all these units in, and it's going to hit, you know, and it definitely did hit in 2021. And also, uh, 2022 was a different story, but it, it was also an amazing year. Yeah. Take us through what happened after that. So how many yeah. units were you up to in the, in the summer of 2021 and then what's happened since then? Cause we still have yeah. two years to go until yeah. now. <laughs> So yeah, so 2021 in the summer, like I would have to look at my data, but probably 200 plus units um, during that time. Um, and so again, I had like seven seven million dollars worth of revenue and like 1.5 million dollars worth of profit. Uh, then 2022, um, I knew that it was going to be even more demand than it was going to be in 2021. Because in 2022 is when uh, all the restrictions like went away in like May, like no more masks, no more COVID didn't exist anymore. Like you know, um, and all of a sudden, like it, it was like you were free to go out and about. So uh, during that time again, I ended this time. This time I had to guarantee rent, so I did have losses in like my winter months. Um, so my cash was like you know up and down like a roller coaster. But I still had a big reserve. Um, I, I had bought some real estate during um, that time, so I used some of my uh, money. But uh, so, like then, twenty twenty two happened, and uh, the supply is coming back, but not back to two thousand nineteen levels. Still, that that regulation kept that restrict that increase of supply down, right? And COVID scaring everybody kept supply down. It's up from that thirty five hundred dollar three hundred thirty five hundred dollar unit count, but it's still less than 2019. Um, but now even the, the demand in 2022 is more than 2021, the summer demand. So it was like crazy rates, crazy numbers happening. Um, the city was like lively vibing. So much money was pouring in. And I thought I was like the biggest genius. You know, I thought I was like, okay, hey, you know, I'm, I'm take, I took like a million dollar gamble and I hit a million dollar gamble. You know, um, I have my friends like, like they were, they're always on like, like sports betting and like they bet like two, three hundred, five hundred dollars and they get so excited from like, if they, if they win, 
but like I, I was in my in my mind like no one could relate right but i was like man i took a like a um i bet like two hundred fifty thousand dollars with the bankruptcy stuff and i made a million dollars because of that hit you know like that's a big gamble you know and um i was really proud of myself but um so that was like that that summer of 2022 but then all of a sudden um because there was so much demand that summer in in my markets there was fatigue of traveling to my market everybody had rushed in rates were high and all of a sudden my winter was worse than i could have ever even imagined you know um my summer was the best i could ever imagine now my winter was the worst i could ever imagine so it ended up like um 2021 was better than 2022 after the craziness of like um the ups and downs and i was taking losses in november 350,000 december loss of 350,000 january loss 400,000 february loss 300,000 and all of a sudden um all of my cash reserves i had um saved up uh, luckily, I didn't spend it. I wanted to buy real estate, but then like interest rates were rising, prices of real estate were rising, so it kind of kept me from not buying anything. Because if I did buy something, I would have to liquidate all that because I had no more money. Um, I was taking so much losses during my winter time um, that um, I was in a deficit. I was a cash flow negative at some point, and during the winter time, where I was putting things back on my credit cards, uh, deferring rents five days so I could recoup like you know five days worth of Airbnb money. And like paying the rents, putting my utilities on my credit cards, and hoping to get back into this winter and into the springtime, just like back when I was de- dealing with, with uh, you know March of 2022. It's like the same cycle, but different story now. You know, um, it's just like I uh, I know it's gonna happen, but I just <laughs> I just keep putting myself in the same situation. Uh, luckily, uh, I was able to get out of my slow winter. And now I'm in my summer season, and my summer season is nowhere near what 2022 or 2021 is. Like my demand or my ref par is down around 20-25% from the previous years, which makes sense to me because that pent-up demand was a once-in-a-lifetime type opportunity, and that's never going to happen again. Uh, and my markets, I believe that the hotel industry is doing a lot better than what they were doing in the past. People are shifting back into hotels. There's a lot of drama on uh, you know, social media on Reddit, like Airbnb's bad, Airbnb bust, Airbnb's not good, and um, you know, hotels are better, you know, like that cleaning fee thing and like you gotta do a bunch of chores and um so a lot of like stuff in the media is like making people not feel as comfortable to go to Airbnbs. They're going in my opinion, back to back to hotels and their occupancy for hotels are, are increasing. So my demand is less this year than it was last year. So um, for me, uh, my, my confidence levels, every single like few months changes or every month it changes, you know, like one, one year, one summer, I think I'm like the smartest guy in the world. Then it's like, oh shoot, I have no more money. Um, I need to like um, sell cars and sell my assets and sell different things. I have a lot of expensive cars, so I was ready to sell my cars, you know, um, to be able to put back in my business. And then it's like, okay, this summer is back, and I'm still in business. It's doing good, but what if the winter coming up is going to be bad? So it's like this roller coaster of like, uh, like life that I have in my business. 
I'm never like a, a set in stone where I know like, all right, uh, I'm doing good and I don't have anything to worry about. I always feel like something is like over my shoulder looking at me, ready to like take me down. And so like it's stressful, you know, it's it takes a toll on you. And I'm always <laughs> like, uh, like because I've gone through some crazy stuff. So I'm always like, like negative about like, uh, like what's going to happen. And like, I feel like the next I'm going to get another phone call for like something crazy. Like it's just always the next thing, you know, and that's what's part of being an entrepreneur. Like it's never a smooth ride, you know. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> well, I can't say I've I've experienced the the roller coaster that you have, but I've seen my ups and downs too. Um, so I'm I'm curious, like you, you know, it's kind of you know that the winter's coming again, right? Is yeah. there anything you're doing differently this year than the last couple of years to kind of prevent that? Yeah, you know, to kind of get through that winter and prevent that negative cash flow. So, um, this year like my team has put together some forecasts. Like I always want to forecast out. Um, I So right now I forecasted out to Q1 of 2024. So I know what I'm going to net in the end of this year. And then I know my losses are what are going to be in the first quarter of next year. So then that gives me the amount of cash reserves that I need to have. And then that allows me to see how much money I have to play with. Like what do I want to do, do with this extra money? Do I want to buy some real estate? Do I want to grow my business? Do I want to buy another fancy car? You know, um, that's kind of where my like mind is. So um, in the past, when I thought I was a genius, I was buying like all these nice things, like you know, luxury items, all this stuff. Um, this year, I'm kind of like uh, like taking it easy. Like I don't know if this winter coming up is going to be as bad as last winter, or things have stabilized a little bit more. But I can't take that gamble of spending all this money to um, find out what happens later on. So basically, I'm complacent. I'm, I, my cash reserves right now is amazing. I love seeing my bank account when I open up my Ch Chase app. Um, but I can't touch that money because I don't know what's going to happen in November, December, January, February. Mm -hmm. So if if um, what I hope for happens and this winter is not as bad as last winter, then this next year, I'm going to you know take action unless like something next crazy thing happens. There's always something the new that happens, you know? So I... It's just like this never like secure feeling I have with my money yet, you know? So uh, I, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. 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 You're, you're going to be a bit more cautious. Yeah. And keep, keep and a I, bigger reserve essentially. Right? right. And I have some levers to play. Like um, I have these cars and these cars are expensive. Like uh, a Lamborghini, a Rolls Royce, you know, I have them. And to me, those cars are liquid. Tomorrow, if I wanted to um, trade it in, I could make my money back, you know, and that's like, you know, $500,000 of cash that I can inject back in my business. Obviously, it'll hurt um, my ego not having those anymore because, you know, it makes me feel good driving that around. Um, but I have to do what I have to do to keep the business alive. And if that's the case, I will do that, you know. Did you put those out on Tura? No, I don't. <laughs> I'm against that. I'll never do that. Because like, um, my strategy is like... um the cars don't depreciate much um but the maintenance on it is expensive so if i do rent it out on turo then somebody on turo might end up giving me a $20,000 expense from the maintenance side so i, I don't want to make money on it cuz i don't want to spend any money on the maintenance or any body damage so like when i buy these cars um they've depreciated so much already like um the rolls royce is like you know a $400,000 car that i got for 185 it's not going to depreciate much more i might lose sure. like 5 10,000 on it and that's, I could lose that much. I'm not worried about that any day, you know? 
So um, for me, those cars are like liquid little savings accounts. Got it. Um, Let's see. There's a, there's a lot that we went through. Um, Yeah. I I was going to say like, what are what are the, like the for you like the major learning lessons of going through this extreme roller coaster? Like you started in 2018, and you know you're five years into this business now, and I mean you've experienced more than I think most short-term rental hosts have probably experienced in their entire short-term rental career. So like, what what are the main takeaways for for you? Uh, so a few things is uh, one I like being in regulated markets. Like I like being in a market where it's not easy for other people to join that market. Um, so that allows you to, uh, you know, uh, not have to deal with supply issues. Like I've here in some markets in like, you know, Texas or Florida or Arizona, where I hear on like um, on, on, the, on the news, like Airbnb bus where, you know, the Super Bowl ended up not being as good as it people thought it was going to be in Austin, ref pars are down. One person says 10%, other person says 50%, you know. Um, so I like being in markets that there's a supply constraint due to regulations. So that's one thing. Uh, number two is like partnerships. Uh, the reason why I'm still in business right now is because of the partnership I have with some of my landlords. And this one landlord I have such a good relationship with, you know, one guy I have 180 units with. And if you if we have a third podcast, like, in a couple of years from now, hopefully I have 250 with him, you know, and, um, I will, I, that guy is like my favorite guy in the world. He, you know, he, he's my livelihood, keeps me in business. And, uh, my reputation with him is like everything. So I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I, I give him every single dollar. Um, I don't cause problems with, hi, with his units, with his team. And I want to make sure I keep a good relationship. So I've gone through many landlords, and if you could keep a few for a long period of time, you could have a good substantial business. Uh, number three is like uh, you know I rely on my team for everything. I have a pretty substantial team now. You know I have maybe a hundred people in my business now helping me run the business, uh, but fifty percent of them are in the Philippines. Um, my whole back end work is in the Philippines, and my leadership is in the Philippines as well. Like uh, I have finance team, pricing team, marketing team, operations team, HR. I have, uh, you know, IT in the Philippines managing my entire business. And then over here in my local markets, I have like cleaners, runners, maintenance, handymen, and like a one property general manager that runs the show. So um, like I think those three are like huge takeaways for me to run a successful business. Mm-hmm. So on on the ground, you have one person that manages all the cleaners and maintenance personnel and everything. So they, yes, um, they are the go-to person on the ground. But the people in the Philippines are giving them directions, what to do, where to go, how to do it. But like um, the face and the voice is from one person coming um, from here. Mm Mm-hmm. How did you? How do you manage to train all these people? Because like a hundred people, yeah. especially half of them being in the Philippines, like, uh, what's your system to to onboard and train all these people? So, the way it happened is, um, when I started my business, I started it with two virtual assistants. I called them virtual assistants back then. Now I don't. They're my team. You know, they're my employees. So, 
Um, the reason, even though I didn't have enough work for two people, I still hired two people at the time. Reason being one, I didn't know if one was going to be good or one it was going to be bad. Or number two is like, if one person leaves, then the other person could train a new person. So essentially, um, that allowed me to never, I had to train the first two people. Then never again did I ever have to train anybody ever again. Now it's just whenever somebody gets hired, the people within the company train them. And that's when I started building up my teams. And then when my finance people came in, like I told them what I needed. And then they told me what I needed and they started doing what I needed, you know, and it's not something that I, I need to train somebody finance. I don't, I can't train somebody how to make a PL, a balance sheet, um, forecasting and expense. They need to know that, you know, I need to just tell them what I need and then they need to give me advice on what I need. Right. Um, so the operations team like trained within and grew. And basically I would have like, you know, um, check-ins every like six months or something on like. This is my vision on how the company should be, how the structure should be, how the manager should be, how the um, senior manager should be, how the director should be. And um, you need to start getting all the procedures down and use training methods. And like, we need to hire one person just to train every single person. Like, it just ended up being within themselves. I don't ever train anybody. My people have systems in place and managers and leadership that things trickle down. So they have to train them within. And, and how did you find, like, it sounds like you have a great team. Sounds like oh, yeah. that's one, you yeah. know, I'd say that's one, probably one of the biggest struggles, yeah. uh, you know, in scaling is like finding the right team members, right? So it sounds yeah. like you have a great team with, with actually like, like leaders within the team that train others and, and that take, you know, that basically like free you up, right? To, to yeah. focus on other stuff. So yeah. uh, how were you able to find like those people? So it's just like trial and error, you know, uh, I have people that, started with me like four or five years ago that are still with me today. Um, I'm paying more than the market pays them in Philippines, which is a lot less than what we pay to anybody local. So if they're getting paid more, um, they love seeing their growth of the company and um, they are just good employees. Like I'm able to keep them happy. They understand my business. Um, there's no like um, surprises every year, you know, like um, and if somebody leaves, it's like the next person that gets hired gets trained within, you know? So, um, one is like, um, I was loyal to them and they're loyal to me and I'm paying them more and they do a good job. And again, not everybody was good. I had to let go of a lot of people through my time, but the ones that were good helped me grow to what I am today. And even like the one individual that, um, is my operations director, you could call her whatever title you want, but she's the general manager that runs the show in Chicago but she's actually from Philippines. I brought her in right before COVID, literally a week before COVID um, ha happened where they stopped flights. And um, sh she was that good that I was like, I'll invest my time and money in the cost for visas and all that stuff and to bring her here. So I really just wanted to come as like a visitor just to see the Chicago operations, to take it back and uh, go back to um, Philippines and run the show. But like COVID happened, she was not allowed to leave back to her country so her stay ended up being a lot longer and now she's running the show over here but has ties to philippines and she has now uh she got married over here so ends up being where she um has her citizenship and everything but it goes to show you like like this one individual has helped me um 
through my on-site operations. She was the one flying to all the different cities for the uh, stay offered furniture. She was the one onboarding these like extra 200 uh, units with all these new people. She She's just like a star, right? And all you need is a couple of stars and that'll like, you know, uh, run the show for you. Treat them well um, and give them the opportunities to help them with their families back at home, with their living situation here and um, be truthful to them, have good integrity and treat them right. You know, um, I have a lot of like little like lunch and learns with like my onsite teams in Philippines. I have um, like onsite parties, like where they get together for like um, a day and a half and they have like, you know, team building and camaraderie stuff like, and they get to know each other um, in the Philippines. Like they're traveling from all the different islands into one place. And, you know, I treat my people well and, you know, they look after me and my business. Awesome, man. I love that. Have you been to yeah. the Philippines yourself, by the way? I really need to. Uh, and I really want to, and I'm, I'm going to do it. It's hard for me now because I have my family and my little kids. Um, but yes, my intention is to go to the Philippines and have like a party over there. <laughs> yeah, let me know. It's one of my favorite countries. I think I've been there like 10 or 15 times. Or oh, no way. So, That's yeah, awesome. And I have a unit there as well. Uh, oh no way um, so (laughs) which i have never been to because when i bought it like covid (laughs) happened and you know the whole thing but um yeah but yeah i'm I'm actually planning to to go down there at some point uh, what what city so my unit's actually on a little tiny little island have you heard of borkai no i haven't no borkai is essentially it's a little island but it's the it's the number one tourist destination in the philippines um it's very crowded and so when i was there there's there's not a little island right next to it and i was like okay well this island's gonna get overcrowded so like let me get something mm. on the next island so nice um yeah it's a little island called uh, Car- carabao island but it's nice. beautiful it's, i mean if you dude you're gonna love it i mean it's yeah you know like you there's there's like 700 islands or 7,000 islands i don't know but whenever <laughs> i'm in the philippines i feel yeah. like you throw a stone and you hit a beautiful beach that's yeah, like <laughs> unbelievable yeah very cool. awesome dude well uh let's uh let's wrap this up this was uh, so good to to see you again and and to yeah. hear your your story it's been uh, very inspiring and <clears throat> you know the last last question for you is uh you know i'm sure we'll do another podcast a few years from now and you sure. know and, and continue this journey but wh- where do you see yourself in 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 three years so uh, you know, things change every few months where I'm going to change my, what I'm saying now might not happen or I might change it again. Um, but I got to this point where um, there's so much instability of, you know, winter season, busy season, um, scaling up 50 units, then giving back 50 units because I have gone through problems. Um, I kind of like this 300 unit business and hundred employees and, uh, you know, $10 million of revenue. This is enough for me in my life, you know, that I'll be happy with. And I don't want the reason f- to me to lose everything because I took it to 400 units, 500 units, and then something ha- happens to me because of that scale that makes me lose everything. I want long-term sustainability, longevity in my business. I want to continue to just be as is. But if an opportunity comes up in three months, that might hold, that might change. So I don't know. Um, and then recently, uh, I started my own personal brand. Like I see the value of it already. Like um, I'm all over social media, uh, like uh, on uh, Instagram, telling my stories. One, it's fun. It's like a reflection. 
It's like a, my little diary. And I've been making a lot of cool connections from all around the world of people liking my story. And it might, it might motivate me to like, you know, go to Dubai and meet up some of the people that I talk to on Instagram in Dubai because it's like my dream place to like want to go, go to right now. And uh, I've been having fun doing my personal brand. And maybe I can monetize off my personal brand at some point, you know, whether it's coaching or mentoring or, you know, courses. So that's kind of where my mindset is now. So it's like keep my business as is and start a personal brand and see where it takes me. Um, if you guys want to hear my story more and like what I problems I go through on a daily basis, because I always have problems, uh, you could follow me on Instagram at Syed BNB and you could find a lot of my like stuff over there. Awesome. So uh, I, I just have, uh, I just followed you on Instagram actually. So Syed BNB yep. on Instagram. Um, <clears throat> I noticed you, you're posting quite a bit. So um, yeah. Definitely, definitely recommend everybody uh, follow Sayed because I'm sure you're gonna learn a lot from uh, from him, and uh, it looks like pretty fun as well. Like uh, you know, seeing some of your cars and yeah, uh, and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's, cool. it's it's not all seriousness. It's a little fun. It's a little reflection of like the stuff I like. Like uh, you know, I make j jokes and stuff. So it's again my personal brand. It's what I want it to become. It's nothing like all formal, just all Airbnb tips. Um, I'll talk about anything. You know, got it. Awesome, dude. Well, uh, you know, let's schedule our net po net next podcast uh, in August 2026, and we'll see yeah. if that's uh, that stable. Put it on my calendar. Yeah. You know, just keep it at 300 <laughs> units, no, no crazy roller yeah. coasters, you know, right. no, no crazy, uh, you know, buying furniture from all around the country, stuff like that. Just steady income, you know, family time. Take it easy. We'll see if that actually is going to happen. We'll see. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for jumping on today. And uh, It was always a pleasure. Hope yeah 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 it's been it's been great um and to the listeners hope you enjoyed this uh podcast and we'll be back soon with another one so we'll see you then get paid for your pet get paid for your pet get paid for your pet